Good morning. If you can uh, find our seats, and if you would turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, verse 21. We're going to continue our uh, series here on the Passover. If you would read along with me, Exodus 12, again, verse 21. The word of the Lord says in verse 21, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans. And kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintels of the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the doors of the house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintels and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the doors will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statue for you, for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep the service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover For he had passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he strike the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for this passage, Lord. I thank you for for the Passover and the symbolism, Lord, and the festivals that, that have come from the historic Passover, Lord. I thank you for what the Passover points to to your son, the true Lamb of God, who died on the cross, the sacrifice to atone for our sins, Lord. God, I pray as we go over this passage this morning and the passages surrounding the laws of the the festival that have come out of the Passover, Lord, that we just grow a a deeper understanding not only of of the Passover and and what that means and, and what you did all those years ago, Lord, in Egypt, but also a deeper understanding of how we are to remember the sacrifice that your son made on the cross. So be with us this morning, Lord, as we go through this passage. In your son's name, amen. Again, we're going to continue our our sermon series on the Passover. Uh, I wanted to start today by pointing out something that I've noticed that's kind of interesting in chapters 12 and 13 of Exodus. It's actually something that's made it somewhat hard to outline and preach through these two chapters. Um, If you would look, Chapters 12 and, and 13 is really about the Passover and, and the festivals that come out of the Passover. And if you look at chapter 12, just real quick, verses 1 through 13, you see that these are the instructions of the Passover. And we, we spent some time on this two weeks ago. There's 13 verses here, um, eight details that we gave that explain the Passover. They're instructions by the Lord to Israel and, uh, on what to do uh, with the lamb, the Passover lamb. Then we get to Exodus 12, verse 21 and 23, through 23. And this is really the historical account of the Passover. It's historical narrative. So just think about that for a second. You have 13 verses on the instructions. You only have two verses describing the historical account of the Passover. In fact, when you go through chapters 12 and 13 as a whole, 
there's only 22 verses on the historical Passover. In other words, 22 verses of historical narrative, what happened in Egypt. There's 13 verses on the instructions and, and the details of the Passover. There's, there's 22 verses on the historical narrative. And then there's 34 verses in these two chapters on the laws of the feasts and rituals that would come from the historical Passover. Meaning there's 34 verses on how the Israelites were called to celebrate and remember the Passover for years to come after the historical Passover. That means, really, the Passover celebration, what comes out of the historical Passover, dominates this text in, in chapters 13, or 12 and 13. It's clear that God wanted the Israelites to remember the Passover, to not forget what happened in Egypt in these two chapters. And there's three main rituals that we see in these two chapters. You have the, the Passover feast itself, then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then you have the consecration of the, the firstborn. And when I first started studying this week, I was going to make my three points, those three, but there's just too much in the Passover feast. So we're just going to look at the Passover feast this morning, and, um, and we'll, we'll tackle those other two next week or the week after. But again, today the Passover feast. And so if you would, read along with me as we, we just— I want to walk through these passages describing how the Israelites were called by God to observe— Passover feast, starting in verse 24. Exodus 12, verse 24, says this, You shall observe this rite as a statue for you and your sons forever. In other words, in this, in this passage that we're in right now, God is commanding Israel to remember the Passover, and, and to do this by, by having a festival or a, a feast, a holiday, after they leave Egypt to remember what happened uh, in Egypt. And at this point, verse 24, if you're reading through chapter 12, this is the third time God has told Moses that he wanted the Passover celebration to become a permanent addition to Israel's calendar. We see the first one in verse 14, Exodus 12, verse 14. It says this, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord, Throughout your generation, as a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. If you look at verse 17, just a couple verses later, it says this, And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this very day— What day is this? This is the Passover day. That's when God is talking. On this very day, this Passover, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statue forever. And finally, we get to the verse that I just read, verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statue for you and for your sons forever. Then verse 25, and, and when you come to the land, this is, of course, the promised land. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. Now, that word service, if you have the NASB, it's, it's rite, but the Hebrew word literally means service, like an act of service. Uh, it's a good translation, but the range of meaning of that word can mean like uh, service of worship or worship service or ceremony or ritual. You shall keep this ceremony or ritual. You shall keep this service of worship. This is what it's talking about, the Passover feast, this celebration of what was happening in, in Egypt during this time that they were called to do. And there's, 
really a couple of themes as we go through these three rituals the next couple weeks that I want to point out the festivals that we see in, in, in chapters 12 and 13. The first theme is this, that there's this idea of remembering. This idea of remembering. God is calling the Israelites to remember what happened in Egypt. It's the main reason for these rituals or these celebrations. Um, and we're going to talk more about that in a second. This, the second theme that I want you to see, and we see this really clearly in what I just read, is that this remembrance should be passed down to their children from generation to generation. Right? Look at verse 24. You shall observe this right as a statue for you and for your sons forever. It's this idea that this remembrance of the Passover needs to be passed down from generation to generations. Parents, in other words, were given a task to explain the significance of these festivals as they go through them to their children. The third theme I want to just quickly point out as we go through this and hopefully keep these in the back of your mind as we read through them the next couple of weeks. The third theme is that these witch or rituals or festivals shall be kept even in the promised land. Again, look at verse 25. It says this, and when you come to the land, that's the promised land. And we're going to see that, that Israel will be pulled out of Egypt. In fact, they'll be sent out of Egypt and they'll be in the wilderness. And we know they're in the wilderness for 40 years and then in the promised land, they were to keep these festivals, um, these rituals, during the 40 years in, in the wilderness, but also when they get into the promised land. And this becomes almost a promise. Look, look at verse 25 again. And when you come to the land, that's like a promise. It's going to happen. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he, as he has promised, you shall keep the service, right? the Passover feast. Verse 26, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he has passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. Again, these rituals were to help the Israelites remember, and not only that, but to teach the next generation of the history of Israel and the Passover. Verse 27, look at the very end, it says this, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. In other words, bowed their heads and worshipped in obedience. They were listening to God. They did what God asked him them to do in Egypt, to slaughter the Passover lamb. In fact, verses 28 through 42, if you look at your scriptures, verses 28 through 42 is historical narrative. And we're going to go over this later, but it's historical narrative. Uh, today, I, I really want to focus on the festivals, but let me just kind of summarize what goes in in these uh, verses here. The Israelites listen to God's instructions. They slaughter a lamb. They paint the lamb's blood on the doorpost, like they were called to do. God's wrath comes and passes over them. That's where we get the word Passover from. Yet, the firstborn of the Egyptians die. In fact, look at verse 30. It says this, And, and Pharaoh rose up early, or rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Therefore, Pharaoh lets Israel go. In fact, Pharaoh drives them away completely, as the word says. Now look at verse 43. Very end of all this, verse 43, we're right back into the laws 
surrounding the Passover celebration. Verse 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is a statue of the Passover. In other words, this is how you are to celebrate the Passover for years to come, Moses and Aaron in Israel. Right? The laws that surround this festival, this is what you are to do. The first law is this, no foreigner shall eat it. Right? Only Israelites, in other words. Verse 44, but, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or higher worker may eat of it. When you get to verse 46, there's three just real clear instructions. The first one is this. It shall be eaten in one house. Again, the second law is this. The second instruction is you shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house. And third, you shall not break any of its bones. It's the Passover lamb. And then verse 47 says this. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and he may come near and keep it. He shall be a native of the land, but no, um, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Again, just clear instructions on how to celebrate this festival for years to come. And then finally, verse 50 says this, All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. Again, there's three rituals that we see in these two chapters. What I've read this morning is, is the, the ritual, the, the festival of, uh, of the Passover feast and the laws that surround it. And I really wanted to focus in on the, the Passover feast this morning. Next week, like I said, we'll talk about the, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But there's seven observations, these two passages I just read. There's seven observations I, I want to um, make this morning. And, and I really want to do something that's kind of different. Uh, I want to relate the Passover to the Lord's Supper. Or communion. You're going to hear me use that word, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, communion. I mean the same thing as what we do. We celebrate once a month, right? I want to relate the Passover to the Lord's Supper because the Passover and the Lord's Supper are closely connected, as we'll see. My goal, and, and really my goal this morning, is by the time we get done with the sermon, you would have a, a deeper understanding of the Lord's Supper this morning as we go through the Passover festival and how it relates to the Lord's Supper. So there's seven observations of the Passover festival, and, and like I said, we're going to connect them to the Lord's Supper. So the first observation is this. Of the two passages we just read, right, the Passover festival was to help Israel remember. I know I've already mentioned this, but, but that word remember has become an important word in the first part of Exodus and what we've gone over so far in the book of Exodus. In fact, even before the burning bush, in Exodus 2, verse 24, it says this, And God heard their groaning. That's the Israelites. We've talked about this. God heard their groaning, and God remembered. That word's super important. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. In other words, God remembered his covenant. He didn't forget. You just think about it, and we've talked about this enough now. The Israelites, as they were in slavery for those 400 years, towards the end, they had to have been wondering... Did God forget? 
Exodus makes it very clear that God remembered. Not only that, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 5, this is before the plagues. This is after the burning bush, but before the, the plagues, God says to Moses, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered. I've remembered my covenant. Again, it's this idea that God doesn't forget. In fact, part of what it means that God is Yahweh is that God is faithful, that God remembers. Therefore, in Exodus 7, chapter 7 through 12, God saves his people with 10 awesome displays of power. We've gone over the narrative. God remembered, in other words. In, in all this passage, it's, it's showing that God remembered the covenant, the covenant he's made with Israel. Now look at chapter 13, verse 3. There's a switch that happens. Verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, this is Israel, this is a command, remember. Then Moses said to the people, remember. In other words, now it's Israel's turn to remember. God remembered Israel. Now Israel is called to remember the covenant that they have with God. Again, verse 3, remember, this is a command. Remember this day, that, that's the historical Passover, what happened in Egypt on that day. Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. Again, there's this command, remember, do not forget this. You know, I, just thinking about this real quick. If you went through that, those 10 awesome displays of power, you would think there's no way we're going to forget. <laughs> That's a major theme we see even in the wilderness. Before they even get to the promised land, Israel forgets. So God tells them, remember, it's a command. Deuteronomy 5.15 says this, You shall remember. Don't forget that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. The Lord wants Israel to remember, to remember the Passover, to remember the power of God that was in display, the ten awesome displays of power, to remember the, the harsh slavery they're crying out to God for salvation, to remember what it cost, what it took to save them, to remember the Passover lamb, to remember the blood on the doors. You know, when you read through the Old Testament, you, you realize something, that God knew man's tendency to forget. Therefore, he sets up these festivals to help Israel remember, to help them to teach their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. Israel was to keep the Passover feast in remembrance of God's great salvation. Now, does that sound familiar? Do this in remembrance of me. Right? The Lord's table. The Lord's supper, communion. You know, we as the church in the New Testament have a ritual or ordinance that helps us remember the Lord's Supper 
Now, here's what I want you to do, because we're going to be going back and forth from these two, two passages a lot. If you can keep a mark in, in Exodus chapter 12, maybe a little bookmark or something, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to be going back and forth, I'm just warning you, on these two passages. Uh, Exodus 12, which is the Passover, and 1 Corinthians 11, which, just so you know, every Lord's Supper is, is what, where I read. I go to 1 Corinthians 11, that's what I read. I do that because, really, that's a tradition of this church. Pastor Andy did that growing up. I almost had it memorized by the time I became a pastor, because I've heard him say it over and over and over and over again, reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. My goal, again, is that we get a deeper understanding of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. So, so if you would, look at verse 23. It says this. For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. Now, what is that? What bread? It's unleavened bread. Why? How do we know that? The Passover feast. He was celebrating the Passover feast with with his disciples the night Jesus was betrayed. He was celebrating a Passover meal with his disciples. Obeying the laws, in fact, that we're hearing today in, in Exodus chapter 12. It was the last official Passover ever. In obedience to what God has called the Israelites to do, Jesus gets the disciples, sits down, they have a Passover meal. It's the last official Passover ever because Jesus transforms it into the first communion, the first Lord's Supper. It's what we celebrate. Look at verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it again, unleavened bread, that's why it breaks, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Listen, in the same way the Passover feast was given to the Israelites as a remembrance or the salvation from God's wrath and the slavery in Egypt, the Lord's Supper is a ritual or, or an ordinance given to us, the church, in remembrance of our great salvation from God's wrath and slavery to sin. There's a correlation here. I really think to understand the Lord's Supper, we have to see this. Look again, verse 25 says this. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Like the blood of the Passover lamb. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, just hearing these, this passage here this should, should tell us something. We, just like the Israelites, the church, we have a tendency to forget. Is that not true? I mean, I just, I just don't know how many people I talk to I mean, when they were first saved, right? Just on fire for the Lord. They just wanted to tell everyone about Jesus. They, they so many people that are just ready to sell everything and become like missionaries. Or Then what happens? life, right? This life, earthly life, and we have to live in this life. There's nothing wrong with that, but we forget. We forget. We forget that excitement. We forget that, that feeling of freedom from sin, right? shame and guilt that just relieve. We forget the sense of belonging. We forget. This is why 
we need to meet together and remember. Remind each other. In fact, I need you to remind me to come together to encourage one another because we forget. Because we have a tendency to forget. That's why Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider. That word consider is this like deep um, comp- comprehension or like thinking. Let us consider. Let's take this seriously. Let's, let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need, I believe, at least a, a weekly reminder. And I know I need more than a weekly reminder. Who God is. How amazing he is. How awesome he is. Who we are and who we were. A reminder that this place, this earth, is, is not our home, right? We're sojourning through it. Our true home is yet to come. And it says in this... and which gets me in Hebrews 10, verse 25, it says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mean, I think we're seeing the day drawing near, at least more than when this was written 2,000 years ago. <laughs> Our tendency as man is to forget. That's why we need to come together. That's why we need to come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we need to do this often to remember, to remind us, of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross to, to remind us of the cost of salvation as we look at the elements and think about what they symbolize as a reminder of our past slavery to sin. It's a reminder. Now turn back to Exodus chapter 12. Again, we're going to go back and forth between these two passages. I want you to see the, the correlation, but again, my goal is that we get a deeper meaning to the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. This morning, the first observation that that we see in in the Passover ritual is that it was to help Israel remember. Second observation I want to point out is that the Passover was a remembrance of salvation. It's a remembrance of salvation. Again, look at verse thirteen, Exodus twelve, verse thirteen. I've gone over this this verse a lot, but God says, "The blood shall be a sign for you. The blood on the the doors." will be a sign to you, the, a sign of the penalty of sin, what it costs. The penalty is, de- is death, and I spent a lot of time last week uh, making the case for that. Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel eighteen twenty for the soul who sins shall die. The penalty of sin is death. Again, look at verse 13, Exodus 12, verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. Listen, that's salvation. The blood will be a way of saving you when I strike the land of Egypt. What saved Israel from God's wrath? The blood. The blood of the Lamb, which atoned for Israel's sins. I paid the penalty, the price, which the price, the wages of sin is death. And we learned last week that, that this really just pointed forward to Jesus, who was the true atonement for sin. But look at verse 26. And I just want to remind you of the context here. Israel was 
commanded to hold a feast each year. Verse 26 says this, and when your children say to you as they're having this feast, what do you mean by the service? In other words, when you have the Passover feast and your children go, why do we do this? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. The Passover feast was a remembrance of salvation. Salvation from God's wrath and salvation from slavery in Egypt. In fact, it was this tenth plague, this final plague, that brought freedom from Egypt. Now listen, again, there's a connection between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance of salvation. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he says, this cup is the, the new covenant in my blood. The word blood's important. Remember Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, seven. the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, Jesus said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The night before Jesus' death, as he was celebrating Passover with his disciples, and he changes Passover the Lord's Supper, Jesus was really announcing that he was the true Passover lamb. He was going to be sacrificed to atone for sin, to take away the penalty of sin from those who have their faith in him. Passover festival is a remembrance of salvation, so is the Lord's table. This leads us to our third observation of the Passover festival. The Passover festival is a remembrance of an event that cannot be repeated. An event that cannot be repeated. Now think about it. There really was only one true Passover. Right? The night in Egypt, and that's important, in Egypt. The historical Passover and Exodus out of Egypt. Every festival from that point on was in remembrance of the one true Passover. It's like a birthday celebration. Whenever it's a uh, my birthday, and people come up and say, it's your birthday. In my head, I don't want to say this out loud because I don't want to be rude, but in my head, I always say, no, it's not. That only happened once. I was only born once. I have celebrated that one birthday 38 times. It's not my birthday. That's the same. Think about it. It's the same with Passover. Jay Mortier writes this. The Passover was a getting out of Egypt event. It was a getting out of Egypt sacrifice and festival. And once it had achieved this, right, its great and sole purpose, it only, it could only be remembered from that point on. The true Passover only happened once in Egypt. Look at verse 26. It says this, And, and when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? In other words, years from now, when you're having this festival, this feast, this Passover feast, and your children go, why do we do this? This is what you should say. Verse 27, you shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel, and this is important, in Egypt. 
past tense. He passed over in the house of the people of Israel in Egypt. In other words, we're remembering what happened one time. Now, it seems obvious and insignificant, but it has a very important implication when it comes to the Lord's table. Remember, there's a correlation between the Passover and the Lord's table or communion or what Catholics would say, the Eucharist. The Roman Catholic Church believes that every time you take communion or the Eucharist, the elements transform into the literal body of Christ and blood of Christ. Meaning Jesus is re-sacrificed every time the Eucharist is celebrated. It's really not supported in Scripture. The Lord's Supper, just like the Passover, can't be repeated. It's only a celebration. It's only a remembrance. In other words, Jesus was only crucified once. In fact, Romans 6, 10 says this, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Hebrews 9.28 says this, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's, that's three different authors saying the same exact thing, and that's because they're all inspired by God, who is the one and true author of Scripture. And the, the, what they're saying is that Christ died once for sins. Christ's death on the cross was a once-for-all sacrifice fully completed at Calvary, and that's why he says on the cross in John 19.30 when he received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Fourth observation of the Passover feast is this. It was a shared was a shared ritual. Look at Exodus 12, verse 47. This is very simple, Exodus 12, verse 47, but I think it's really important. Again, verse 47 says this, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. It was a shared festival. It was a shared feast because it was a shared salvation. Just remember the timing. We went over this two weeks ago. One of the details of the Passover was uh, in the instructions was the time when they were to have this this Passover. Uh, you're at the tenth day, you were to pick out the lamb. On the fourteenth day, you were to kill it at twilight, meaning all the lambs of Passover would be killed at the exact same time for the Israelites. It was a shared event. Remember what God told Pharaoh in Exodus four verse twenty two. He said this: "Israel is my firstborn son." Israel as a whole, they're my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. It was a shared salvation. Israel as a whole was God's firstborn son. Let me ask a question. I just want you to think about this for a second. Who... When Jesus died on the cross, who did he save? Now, there's a bunch of different answers 
to this question, but I think the best answer scripturally is the church. That's who he saved. The church. The plurality of people. The community. The church. Singular, the church. Plural, people. In fact, Philip Ryken writes this. Before I read this, I, I come back to this over and over and over again because we live in such an individualistic culture. We've been trained to look at everything through the eyes of me. We read scripture that way. Philip Ryken writes this, In America, most Christians think of salvation in individual terms. Evangelicals especially often talk about having a personal relationship with Christ. And in some senses that's true, but you just you don't see that in Scripture. And don't get me wrong, we have a personal relationship with Christ. But but we it's wrong to think Christianity is all about what God has done for me, singular. However, and he I just don't think Philip Reichen says this strongly enough. He's, he says it really. Let me just read it, though. However, we also believe in the communal, communion of saints, which means that we all have something in common. In salvation, God joined us together with Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. Almost always in the New Testament, almost always in the New Testament, salvation is not singular, it's plural us, not you, not me. Let me just give you a couple examples because the number is maybe getting confusing. Let me just read this and I think it'll jump out at you. Titus 3, 4 says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of, of God, our plural Savior, you know, Paul's writing to, to one person, Titus, and he doesn't say your God, plural our Savior appeared. He saved us, plural. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's salvation right there that he's talking about. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us, plural. Richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we, plural, might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let me just show you another example, and this is my favorite passage in all of Scripture. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Like I said, we probably have this memorized. I've quoted it so many times. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you. It's not what it says, right? In which he loved us plural. Even when we, plural, were dead in our trespasses, made us, plural, alive together with Christ, by grace you, and I can't stand English, it's a plural you in Greek, it it should be (laughs) y'all. grace, y'all have been saved. 
raised us, plural, up with him and seated us, plural, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace and kindness towards us. It's the church, plural, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you, again, that's plural in Greek, you all have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we, plural, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we, plural, should walk in them. How many times have you read that passage and just put yourself there? It's plural. It's us. It's the church. We've made Christianity such an individualistic thing. My personal relationship with the Lord, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be part of a community. I don't need to be held accountable by, by pastors or anyone else. It's unscriptural. That's more influenced by our postmodern, individualistic, truth is inside of me culture. And I will not stop harping on this because it's, it's what we need to hear. In both the Old and New Testaments, when you were saved, you were saved into a community. Old Testament was Israel, New Testament is the church. You can't escape that, by the way. If you're truly saved, you're a part of the church. I don't care what you say. Either you're not saved or you're a part of the church. One of the two. And in both the Old and New Testament, people were expected, expected to be part of a community, to be dedicated to that community. In the New Testament, there's about 60, 60 one another's Every time you see one another, it's talking about our relationship with each other within the church. It's how we are to interact with each other. It's how we're to do life together as a community. We are meant to be a part of a community, and, and that makes sense because God is a God of community. He's a trinity. From eternity past, there's, there's a wrong teaching out there that said God was lonely. That's why he created us. It's not true. From eternity past, he had perfect, loving community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he made us in his image, and he expects us to be a part of community. Family. It's a community. The church. It's a community. Therefore, just like the Passover is a shared celebration, right, a meal of fellowship, communion, the Lord's Supper, is meant to be a shared celebration. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11. It says this in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because, listen to this, when you come together, and look at verse 18, the very next verse, it says this, for in the first place, when you come together as a, as a church, it's a local church, 
When you come together as a community, this is, this is just assumed in this passage that the church will come together. Look at verse 20. When you come together. Look at verse 33. Next page, maybe. Verse 33, it says this. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, it's assumed. Paul just assumes in the first century, right, the local church will just come together. There was no such thing as a Christian that wasn't a part of a local church in the first century. It wasn't a part of a community. Look at the end of verse 34. So when you come together, communion is meant to be a shared experience. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Listen to what it says. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the, 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 the Lord Jesus Christ on a night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Guess what number that is? It's plural. Given to y'all. The church. It's us. Plural. This leads to my fifth observation. If you would turn back to Exodus chapter 12, and this fits into this. Exodus chapter 12. fifth observation as you're turning there is this. The Passover was meant to be a shared experience with God's people only. Again, Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. Look at verse 43. Here's the, the law, the commands, the, the way that the Israelites were to keep the Passover. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statue of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. Israelites only, right? God's people only. Verse 44. But every slave that is uh, bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. Verse 45. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. And I just want to be clear. This is not a, an ethnicity thing. It, it wasn't that you had to be an Israelite per se through, through blood. Because look at verse 47. It says this. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. This is a shared ritual. We'll keep it together. Verse 48. If a stranger, that's a foreigner, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Circumcision was a covenant sign in the Old Testament, meaning if the foreigner, right, in verse 48, is a part of the covenantal community. He has circumcision. He's identifying himself with Israel and, and saying that this God is my God by faith and choice, not by ethnicity. Then he can have the Passover meal. Again, look at verse 48. It says this, If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Again, that's a sign of faith. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. Only those that had the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision in the Old Testament. Just so you know, in the New Testament, we have a sign of the covenant relationship too, and that's baptism. We believe in believer's baptism, that after you're saved, after you put your faith in Christ, 
that you identify with the people of God by being baptized, proclaiming that this is what happened to you. It doesn't add to your salvation. It's just obedience. It's one of the reasons we ask for you to be baptized before you take communion, because it's the same way in the Old Testament, you had to have the sign of the covenant before you would take the Lord's Supper. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. It says this, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood, or the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We should examine ourselves so we don't eat it in an unworthy manner. Well, what's an un- unworthy manner? I, I believe at the least, at the least, these verses mean that communion is not for those who haven't put their faith in Christ. I believe that an unworthy manner is more than that, but at the least, communion is only for those that are truly Christians that have put their faith in Christ. And I want you to just see how serious God takes this. Look at verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. In other words, before we take communion, we should do it in, in, in discernment, in self-examination. Just look at verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. I know some of your translation may have some have fall asleep, but the, the connotation of what it means to fall asleep in the Greek in, in that context is very clear that some have literally died. Yeah, that's a weighty verse right there. In fact, I think about this verse every time we come together at the Lord's table. There's nothing special about the person serving the, the meal, the Lord's table, the, the elements. But as a pastor... There's a weight on me to warn the congregation to not take communion in an unworthy manner. These are serious consequences that could come about. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. That's why we give time to examine our hearts before we take the Lord's Supper. You should ask yourself a few questions. Is there any unrepented sin in my life? That word unrepented is super important. If there's sin in your life, repent from it and then celebrate the Lord's Supper with us because you have forgiveness of sins. But if there's a sin that you're not willing to to let go of, don't take the Lord's Supper. Another question you should ask is, am I truly a Christian? Have you put faith in, in Jesus Christ? If the answer is no, then don't take the Lord's Supper. Another question I think we should ask ourselves more than we probably do is, is, do I have an issue with another brother within the church? And if I do, have I tried everything I can to resolve the issue? If I've tried everything I can and it's on that person, then, then you've done what you needed to do. But if you have an issue with someone else in the, in the church and you haven't tried to resolve, bring reconciliation between you and a brother, you need to do that before you take the Lord's Supper. brings me to a sixth observation of the Lord or Passover. The Passover meal was meant to be a shared 
experience. Now, I know I've said that a couple times, but listen to what I'm highlighting here. Experience. Okay, turn back to Exodus 12. Exodus 12, verse 13. Again, we're familiar with this verse now. It says, the blood shall be a sign for you. Now, think about the Passover, the, the experience, right? The blood. You would get a lamb. On the 14th day, you would slaughter that lamb. In fact, you would slit its throat and drain its blood out. And here's a question I have for you. Who did the slitting of the throat? Not the priest. It's interesting, if you go through Leviticus and all the sacrifices in Leviticus, it's always the head of the household or the person. They were the ones that had to slit the throat. Very vivid imagery, experience. Then you would eat the lamb. Look at verse 8. It says this, You shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. You shall eat it. That's taste, bitter herbs. Smell roasted on, on the fire. You're using all these different senses. There's this experience. It's a shared experience by everyone that's a part of it. Verse 46, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. You know, I, I just was thinking about this a lot this week, obviously, and I just really think one of the reasons throughout human history sharing a meal together, just one reason, I think there's more than this, but sharing a meal together is a sign of fellowship. Is One of the reasons is that you're sharing so many experiences together. You're sitting together. You're, you're smelling the same things together. You see the same things. You're, you're tasting the same things. It's this intimate connection that you're making with people. In the Passover, all these experiences pointed to something that happened during the, the historical Passover. The bitter herbs, the slavery, the, the slaughtering of the, the lamb, the eating of the lamb. It was all pointed to different aspects of the historical Passover. It was meant to be a shared experience. And I really believe this is true for communion to the Lord's table. When we come together, which is assumed in the New Testament for communion, we use our sight. We see the red of the blood, and we see the bread, and we see the elements together. We taste it. We use our taste together. In fact, how we do in our traditions, we, we eat it at the same exact time, tasting it together. A shared experience that points us to Christ. You know, as a side note, I just thought it'd be interesting to share this. One of the reasons we, this is one of the main reasons we didn't do, try to do communion over live stream during all the lockdowns. We, we did a baptism, right, over live stream, and we thought about it and prayed about it. We thought that was appropriate just because baptism was about, it's about pronouncing what happened and, and be part of the, the, the community, and, and it was going out so people could see it. But we, we didn't do communion because we believe that the, that experience was meant to be shared by the body together, physically. In fact, it's also one of the reasons we opened up early. I guess technically in civil disobedience, whatever. Um, we opened up early because we had this conviction that we were co- to come together more than anything else to take the Lord's Supper together. We are called to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a local body brings me to the seventh and and final observation. The Passover festival not only pointed backwards 
but also pointed forward to a, to a greater Passover, really to a greater exodus. Look at verse 46. It says this. It shall be eaten in one house, and you shall not take any of its flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Now, it's really interesting. I, I've read all types of guesses why you weren't to, to break any of the bones, and there's some good observations, but there's nothing that really kind of made complete sense to me besides one thing. It was meant to point us forward to Christ. It was meant to point Israel forward to Christ. Right? At the crucifixion, none of Jesus' bones were broken. That's clear in the Gospels. In fact, John 19.32 says this, So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other. Right? That's the person on, on Jesus' right and left. My right, left, right and left. Came and broke their legs. Well, why did they do this? In the crucifixion process, you, you have your arms up like this, and what happens is when you when you bend down like this, which is kind of the natural way gravity pulls you, you can't breathe. And so crucifixion was meant to last for days until a person was too tired to stand up and take a breath. It was meant to be torture. One of the mercies you had in crucifixion was that you would break the person's legs so they couldn't push up and that they would just die of suffocation quicker. So it wouldn't last for days. So you had the person on the right and left of Jesus. They came and broke his legs so they would die quicker. But then they came to Jesus. Verse 33 says this. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, which was surprising at that point, which usually, again, it takes days, but Jesus was dead. So that means they didn't break his legs. And then John tells us exactly why that happened. Verse 36 says this, For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. What is John referring to there? Exodus 12, verse 46. The Passover lamb. The Passover was not only a remembrance, it was also anticipation of the coming of Christ, the coming of this true lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John 1, 29. And once again, there's a correlation with communion. Turn to 1 Corinthians one last time, 1 Corinthians 11. Again, this is what we read every Lord's Supper here at Country Oaks. It's our tradition to read this passage. I hope now you have a deeper understanding of this passage. Listen to what it says, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the night, or that the Lord Jesus, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In other words, in remembrance of, of Jesus' death. But it also looks forward. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Within the communion supper, the Lord's Supper, if we looked at Passover, Jesus drinks the cup, the third cup. He doesn't drink the fourth cup. All of this is in anticipation of the second coming of Christ. 
in anticipation, really, of a greater feast that we will one day be celebrating together. That surpasses all feasts that we've ever had. It surpasses the, the Passover feast. It surpasses the Lord's Supper. It, it's the, this anticipation of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me just read Revelation 19, verse 6. It says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb, that's Jesus. This Lamb, marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride, that's the church. That's us. Not us individuals. Us as a, a church. The universal church. And his bride has made herself ready has granted her clothes, or granted her to clothe herself with fine linen and bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's this amazing feast that we'll be celebrating together, right? This amazing feast that both the, the Passover in the Old Testament and the Lord's Supper in the New Testament anticipates. Back, Tom Schneider, uh, um, Schneider writes this about this passage. Those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb are blessed by God. No feast compares to the feast and the joy at this supper. It's incomprehensible, uh, incomparable to any joy on this earth. Isaiah 25, 6 says this about the feast. On this mountain... The Lord of hosts will, will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine full, well-defined, refined. And verse 8 says this, He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. So when we come together at the Lord's table, we don't just remember, we celebrate in joy knowing Christ is coming back and we will have a feast with him that will surpass everything that we've experienced in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, but I thank you. I thank you for your word and how amazing it is, Lord, that these passages written thousands of years apart, Lord, just are so congruent. They, they so go together. And in fact, we get a deeper understanding of the New Testament from the Old Testament, Lord. Help us to be diligent in studying your word, Lord, so that we, we have a full understanding of, of what it means to be saved, of the gospel, what it means to come together, Lord, and, and, and worship you. What it means to come together and take communion together. Lord, be with us as a church. God, help us to glorify you. Help us to be bold. Help us to understand your word well, Lord. Help us to remember what you have done for us, Lord. And help us to, to anticipate so greatly what is coming to us, Lord, 
that we're willing to sacrifice anything here because it doesn't compare. In your son's name, amen.